0: Welcome to Word of Truth. This is uh, Doug Presley. It is 317, 2021. And we're ready to begin our worship service this evening. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Father, thank you so much for life, health, and strength. <clears throat> we thank you, Father, for bringing us together for this fellowship that we can worship in spirit and in truth. So, Father, special thanks for the news we heard from Fred and that he is okay from the accident and we pray for his swift recovery and uh, not only his recovery but all the details of the accident uh, and that you will work it out for him. Uh, We thank you for those uh, also for Bill who got his shot today we're praying for those who are here as well that they may have opportunity to get their shot from this vaccine, for this uh, new vaccine that's out. So, Father, we we pray that you will give us wisdom and knowledge as we approach your word this evening. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So, we are embarking on Chapter 9, as you know. We are getting to it. We'll take a few moments to see if there are any Q&A. We'll take about 10, 15 minutes maybe to see if there's any Q&A for this evening. I will pause.
1: All right. Anybody have any questions? Otherwise, I think we have
0: one. Okay. So I think there was some burning questions. Dave had a burning question. Uh, maybe he's available. I don't know if he's on. If he's ready, and I think did, did somebody else say they had a question? Uh, well, in any case, so we got two: Dwight and but, Dave. Well, well, the, well the, for for me,
1: you answered the first question I had, and we can talk about the other one about Antioch the First Church. Uh, to me, it was very curious. What was what was you know, startling for me was the switch uh, in chapter 11 uh, when you know, Greeks were not, Greeks and Gentiles weren't allowed into the synagogue and the apostles up to this point looks like they had to go into the synagogue uh, but Antioch is the first time they met and I just wanted to get some elaboration, in fact we can talk about that another time
0: Sure. Um, well, the remember, so the, just to note and I, I won't take too much time, but just to note there, in Acts, we have uh, three Pentecosts, even though we talk about the Pentecost, which is the coming of the Spirit, uh, which happened in Acts chapter two, and we see the aftermath in three. we have the unifying of the church in, uh, of, to all which would have been Acts chapter 8 for the Samaritans when they received uh, the baptism of the Spirit. And then Acts chapter 10 and 11, we see what happened with Peter and the house of Cornelius where the Gentiles received the baptism of the Spirit. So what we have is not, even though it was for all people, there was some work that God did in making sure that the church was unified Uh, under the apostles authority so he he did it in stages even though in Acts chapter 2 that was the order of the day God held back the baptism of the Spirit to certain ones because he wanted to maintain the authority of the church so I'll say that's all I'll say about it I'll let I'll let your uh, you comment on it later when you're ready but uh, so we'll go on to uh, the other question I know Dave had a burning one I'm curious to know what that is so I'll pause is Dave on the call let me just check uh, Dave if Dave is not prepared uh, we will go to you Dwight uh, I
1: I'm I've got to do a Sunday
0: Oh, you're driving. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right, Dave. Go right ahead, Dwight. All
1: right. Um, simple question, I, I guess. Um, in Matthew 5, concerning the Beatitudes, the which we're all familiar with, um, basically those are Um, taken from the Old Testament, right? And so Jesus was was basically teaching um, his Jewish audience um, to things that would have applied to them. The blessed are the poor in spirit, for is the kingdom of heaven, or the meek, the meek shall inherit the earth, and the meek are the Jews. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the... At the end of the Beatitudes, in um, in Matthew 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I know we've talked about rewards for Christians, uh, believers in the church age, um, and I was wondering if something similar had applied to Israel. Were there rewards great um, in heaven for Israel, Israelites?
0: Yes, certainly. Uh, I would say that um, when we think about all rewards, they're coming from God who is in heaven. And um, where. where it, it, I don't know if it, the, the question is the location of rewards or the fact that uh, Jews and Gentiles uh, are can be recipients of rewards. Are you, so I'll let you you say.
1: Re- recipients of reward prior to the church age, right?
0: Well, yeah, or after. Or after. Okay.
1: Yeah, that that what I'm specifically talking about prior to the church age. So as he's going through the beatitudes, he's talking about your rewards being great in heaven.
0: Yes. So,
1: um, so they are rewarded, and what where is the destiny that they're talking about? So we're talking about heaven, but is that when there is a new heaven and a new earth?
0: Yeah, so the Kingdom Age, right? So that's going to be on a restored Earth, particularly on a restored Earth. So what, one of the things to note, um, and this is a, I should say this is an excellent question, just to, you know, I always, seem like I always say that, but no, it is an excellent question for this reason we get to talk none, about about this. Whether that will be referred to the Millennium? Um, yeah, that is the kingdom age. Yeah. The millennium is the kingdom age. Yeah. So, but what we want to talk about is the idea of rewards as well and to whom they should be given. And, uh, so there's a scripture, um, in Ephesians six, and I've read this one before, just, And it just says this, um, yeah, verse eight, well, we could go to verse seven first, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So that's interesting. Some people live their whole lives as slaves. And if you think about it, this would have been also uh, beyond the Jews. This, and Paul is talking to a mixed audience here. Uh, Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, rich, poor, social, uh, elite, social, outcasts. So just think about, he's saying that it is the Lord's responsibility. So think about this. For It is... God salvation is free for everybody as we know so God is not confused about uh, what is a reward and what is not so he's saying that for every person who's ever saved God has a plan that they can be rewarded so their conduct on earth still must be judged so we have uh, the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers, right? Um, the judgment seat of Christ is not for Israel. It is for believers in this age. So there, it, there are rewards uh, for Israel. And when we read another verse, a uh, sister verse, we could say, from, from that standpoint, it's in Revelation. So let me read it. Some Revelation. Uh, where is it? Twenty-two. Where is it? Let's see. Yes. So verse twenty-two, twelve. He says, "Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person." According to what they have done, so there you have it again. Uh, very similar to. Well, he's literally he's saying, "I'm coming. My rewards with I'm bringing my the rewards with me." So, in order for him to give rewards, what must first happen? He must judge them, as well. So, salvation is free, as we said. It's not about sin, because sins have already been judged. So, it's 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 about works, good works. So Gentiles can do good works, uh, and a good example of that is what happened with Cornelius, as we read just previously, how they were devout. God called these Gentiles devout. He said not only that, but he said, their prayers, I have heard their prayers. So they had a relationship with God, even though we we know uh, this is not strange, but for, it's hard for some people to think in terms of, gentiles and how god dealt with them and so i don't think they all got saved uh, you know just because peter got there Peter when peter arrived there it was to bring the unity of the baptism of the spirit so just know this everybody just like the scripture says who is saved may have opportunity to be rewarded and that's god is recognizing the works of every person whoever lived and was saved. He's recognizing. Now some, reward is a privilege. It is not a right. Some people will be uh, saved and not have any opportunity to be rewarded. Look, look at the thief on the cross. What works could he have done in order to, um, to be rewarded? Well, he's, he's saved And he's not saved in the church age. He's saved under the Old Testament economy as a Gentile. But there were people under the Old Testament economy as Gentiles who were saved, just like the thief on the cross, and did not have opportunity to receive a reward. And their life became a testimony. But one, you could say the reward for that thief is we're still talking about him in 2021. Look at the notoriety he has by being named in the annals of history through the word of God. So, in any case, God is righteous, he's just, and um, so the rewards will be um, consistent with what the person's calling was. So we should recognize it that way so the church in the church age, we are heavenly people, and so our rewards are of heavenly heavenly origin in terms of where we belong For those people on earth theirs their rewards are consistent with their calling right God never called them as heavenly people, so how can they enjoy heavenly rewards from the standpoint of Uh, their existence they have to have something that would be consistent with their existence so they're gonna have earthly rewards and even the church when it talks about us being rewarded it is because we have fought on the battlefield as well so what where will our rewards be they will be on the battlefield that's where uh, we're consistent but now the fact that we're heavenly people that is our calling that's where we will exist so Uh, Just as Christ has a dual calling where he uh, is glorified in his humanity and he is also, he's always been glorified in his deity. There is never was anything that he needed to be glorified. So that was always the case. So he has presence in two realms, you could say. He has a physical presence as well as uh, his presence he always had as God. So, so the reward being with him, the rewards for all people, to me, speak of God's merciful grace and fairness that he will recognize everyone's contribution and judge what that is. Now, remember, sins had to be judged in Christ, and uh, Christ judged every sin. Works will also be judged for every person, there will be no person under any circumstances who will go into the eternal state without knowing where they stood, what they did on earth. So this is consistent, I think, with what we have just in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 9 says, We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. While that's only for the church age, it is consistent that Israel would have the same thought as well. I will pause.
1: Okay. Um, I just wanted a little clarification regarding the timing of the death. Um, I heard you um, when, when Bill chimed in about the millennium, and you said that the millennium is the kingdom age, so I'm assuming that uh, Matthew five twelve, when it says, your reward is great in heaven. Um, we're talking about at that time, there will be reward. But then at Revelation 22, it sounds like, you no, know, it's not until the very end that Israel received a
0: reward. Well, it depends. I mean, that's one scripture I brought. But if you look even before, it talks about those who lived for the thousand years, uh, you know, those are the ones who are rewarded. It talks about those who lived before the thousand years and went through the great tribulation, and because of their diligence, and they are rewarded to rule with him in the, the millennium. So uh, it it is not, just like resurrection, we find that there are different uh, resurrections. We said that Christ was first, the church second, third would be um those at his coming will be resurrected and then tribulational martyrs uh, they are going to be resurrected at the end of the millennium and then at the end of the world god is going to resurrect those who um all and this is the great great white throne judgment so and, and those who did not um are not rewarded as uh martyrs or i'm calling them martyrs but it's Remember, the 144,000 survive the tribulation. So there's, just like resurrection, there are stages uh, when people receive their rewards. So here, where is it? In Revelation chapter 20. So it says, um, I saw thrones and those were, this is Revelation 24. Says I, throne, I saw thrones, and those were seated on those that have been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received the mark on his forehead or in his hand. They came to life, resurrection, and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So why did they? Why did that happen for them? Because of their service, right and and this is the tribulation because this is uniquely the time when the beast and the false prophet and so forth are reigning so in revelation 25 the rest of the dead did not come to life until the 1000 years were ended so so even though they died in the millennium in, uh, not the millennium in the in the tribulation they didn't come to life until after the 1000 years were ended a thousand years is the kingdom age so so you see that just as in resurrection it is in stages and it depends on when uh, those people who are resurrected will be rewarded just like when we're resurrected what's going to be the first thing that's going to happen to us uh, then we're going to receive rewards or not.
1: Good, good. I'm
0: pretty clear about that. Thanks. So, that's an excellent question, just to understand. And some of it may not be spelled out as clearly as I'm probably trying to make it. But what we can understand is the principle of the matter. Why should we be evaluated? And then the question has to be extended. Should others be evaluated? And the answer is yes, absolutely so. Everybody is evaluated, which is why I like that scripture in Ephesians where it talks about God will reward everyone, every person, according to what he has done. doesn't matter where they were in life, who they were in life. Uh, The question becomes, are they saved? Were they saved? If they were saved, then yeah. Now, of course, if they weren't saved, then their works, their good works are the indictment That sentences them to the lake of fire. That's different from what people hear or talk about because people talk about going to the lake of fire because of their sins, because of their the bad things they have done. Well here, it's the good things they think they have done that send them to the lake of fire. So we will pause to see if there are any other thoughts and then we will head on to Romans. I'm good with that.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks for the questions. I appreciate that. Uh, So we're headed to Romans then. Romans chapter 9. You have notes as well. Let's get to it. Uh, Romans 9. Let's look at um, So by the way, I did send John 15. So you have it in document form. So if you wanted you know, not only do you have the notes, but you also have John 15, if you haven't checked your email, so just tuck that Word document away so you have the notes for the entire chapter in one place. Okay, so John, uh, John. Romans 9.3 says, uh, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So, uh, we're going to try to take that apart a little bit, talk about it. Uh, As we continue to follow God's leading wherever it takes us, we can see the devotion of the Apostle Paul to set the record straight. His commitment is reminiscent of Moses' interceding for Israel. Quote, But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written unquote that's uh, Exodus 3232 32. in Paul's mind there is something so fantastic that Israel should be eagerly following God instead of their tradition we must all all learn to allow God to be God and not to paint him into a corner so, when you think about Israel, when I talk about them being painting God into a corner, literally, they were trying to tell God what he can and cannot do. So, Paul yearned with all his might to set the record straight. That That's the goal. So, let's cu- go right to it. Point number one is... Um, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. So that word wish, could wish, really it's translated could wish, uh, is yoka'ami. It's in the middle voice of a primary verb, to wish, by implication is to pray to God pray, will, wish, these are all words that could be translated with that Greek word. So when we think about wish, uh, it is similar to a prayer, although uh, point B is since this is in the middle voice, it signifies the action of the verb uh, being, uh, is acting upon himself. So he's performing the action of the verb, which but, but he could be performing it for someone else, but he's saying this of himself. That's what the middle voice says. He is the one upon whom the action of the verb is being visited. <clears throat> so Paul is saying, I could wish, I could wish that I would be cursed accursed, or cut off from Christ and for the sake of his brothers, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. We're going to get to that. But he wishes this for himself. And that's how we could say it. Um, It's not just, I wish I could be cut off, but I'm thinking this is my heart's desire, not necessarily the will of God, but this is the uh, burning desire that is in Paul's heart. That's what we see. So point C says pretty much where we're leading. So because of Paul's earnest desire to set the record straight, and that's what it was for, for Israel about God's new focus on the church he would do anything to make this clear to them so we should always look at these statements just like um, Moses what was the aim of Moses God Moses was saying God if you have to kill me go ahead and kill me that's what it meant for him to be blotted out right uh, and, and if you look at the context of where he was saying Moses was literally saying God if you, you want to kill me, take my life um, be, you know, for these people. I know they were um, honorary and disobedient and recalcitrant. But if you have to, I'm going to stand between you and them. Take me, not them. That's literally what Moses was saying. In this sense, which I'm, Paul is saying, God, uh, you know, I could wish for myself. That you know I could be that I would be separated, accursed, uh, separated from Christ, so that these people would understand the message. So, so not that he, he, you know he's saying that these people would be, you know, they committed some heinous sin and would be cut off. Well, in, in essence, they were lost. That is true. but Paul is looking to say to them, I want you to understand. So the goal in Paul's mind was that they understand. And the question would be, understand what? Because that's the focus here. We just came through chapter Romans chapter 8 and the whole focus was on this new revelation that Paul had received from God. And it was about for uh, us as sons and the glory that attends us uh, that God planned from eternity past for the church the church is glorious imagine that Israel is saying you know we can't move from what God chose for the nation Israel there's no way we can we can move from that this is God's will Paul is saying no God did move from that but the understanding is so much more glorious than what anything Israel ever had in the first place so Paul knows this He's the one standing in Christ and thinking that Israel is missing the boat. Now, this, this is really what pains Paul. This is what we talked about last week. On the one hand, he has joy because he's executing the plan of God in the face of persecution. And he knows he's executing the plan of God. On the other hand, he has great sorrow and anguish in his heart because of his people. His brothers, who who were, he grew up under Israel, and he knows who they are. He loves them. So, th- we think about this, and that's where we're getting this. So, even though he knows, point D is he knows it is not possible for him to be accursed, and we can read that from Romans eight one, where he says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus literally he knows this for sure so when he's saying i could wish uh, i could be a curse um, he's not really thinking that god's going to throw him away but he's saying that if it were possible for me to be separated from christ and they to understand he says i'd take that i love them so much i would sacrifice myself so that israel could come to this new creation in christ so that is what he's saying. That, that sounds tough to me. That sounds like a mother who will give her life for her children. And this is Paul saying, I will be willing to give my life for m- the sake of my brothers. And, and that they may come to know Christ. Now, they're not brothers in Christ. They're brothers as far as his kinsmen. right? So we'll, we'll get to that. So point E is what would be the result if he did not get his way, right? So um, Paul would be accursed and Israel, uh, I'm sorry, what what would be the result if he did get his way? So I'm just playing both sides of the coin, right? So in other words, when you talk to people, a lot of times, this is how it, it makes sense to work it, right? So, let's say they're suggesting some theory or some doctrinal position. So instead of only fighting that position, why don't we say, okay, what would happen if we accepted your position? Okay, let's think about how that would fit with the Father's plan. Okay, you said, so you're saying, here's a simple example, you're saying that salvation is by grace. But then you're saying that we need to have works, just throw something out there. Well, uh, how would that look? How would that fit with what the scripture says? And then it would have to, right? It would, wouldn't be consistent with uh, the word of God. So we would have to show, okay, so if you say that and it is by works, that means that God must accept uh, a, a lower or a lesser standard of righteousness because he has to accept the works of varying works of many people so I, we could play that out, and we can realize that no, that is absolutely impossible. God would never accept anything less than perfect righteousness and that's so this is the thought here in this point. What would be the result if he did get his way? Suppose Paul was accursed right uh and Israel would have a proper understanding of what god's mystery that's what Paul is saying he's saying if if it were. If I could have it my way, which I cannot, and I recognize that, but if I could, it's in my heart, to want them to come to understand, then uh, what would happen if I could be accursed? Then Israel would come to an understanding. And what? What what does it mean? Just that salvation? No, of the mystery. So how do I know that? Look at Romans 8. We just came from Romans 8 where he talks about the love of God that is in Christ and what can separate us and the fact that we're sons. And, and not only are we sons, but we're heirs and, and heirs of God. And uh, the suffering that we're going through is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And whole creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Right? These are all Roman scriptures that he dealt with in detail in Romans 8. So what what is he pleading with them to understand? Not only salvation, but that they understand the calling. And Paul talks about it in Romans 11 as well. He says, uh, did God cast away his people which he foreknew? Absolutely not. He says, I'm an I'm an Israelite, from the tribe of Benjamin and and there is a, a a remnant, right? That some in other words there are some who were Jews that understood the message and now they understand that they are in Christ and they this glorious mystery, the unsearchable riches, the wealth that is ours in Christ. They get it. Paul is saying for the Israelites that he wants them to get that. Right? They're living, standing right, looking at Paul in the eye so they certainly can be the recipients of this glorious grace. They could possibly be. If they would just believe. Which is non-meritorious. So. Point F. Uh, he will attempt to lay out the most reasonable argument on our calling. So even though he says all this. he, he recognize He's telling you what's in his heart. But going forward. What's he going to do? He's going to lay out. In this chapter. The most reasonable argument on our calling he's not talking about salvation but he's gonna he's gonna deal with our calling if you look at the whole Romans 8 it's dealing with our calling I mean after he deals with the first there is no condemnation which comes from chapter 7 what a wretched man that I am who will deliver me it's Christ so in Christ I don't have to worry about this vacillation there's no, there's no condemnation. Once you're in Christ, that's it. And now he d- turns the you know uh, page to how do you walk in Christ? And then who are you in Christ? Your children, your heirs, and so forth. So point F, he's going to lay out this argument in Romans 9 now about our calling. Right? Is it okay for God to switch up here and to call out these many sons into glory? Has he violated something uh, where Israel has a legitimate objection to An answer we already know is no he he has not and we're going to talk about sovereign grace and 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 what that means as we go forward in chapter nine but Israel is on Paul's mind so he's gonna he's just like he laid out. Uh, salvation in uh, chapters, Romans chapter 3 and 4. Remember, if you went through Romans 3 and 4, I don't know how anybody could come through those chapters with uh, the thought that you need to have some kind of works for salvation. Because he took salvation apart from the standpoint of righteousness. And he dealt with sin too, but on the other side of salvation is righteousness. There are two things we need. And if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, these are the two things laid out right here. So at the end, 2 Corinthians five twenty one, God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. And there it is, right there. Christ took all our sins. All of our sins were imputed to Christ and judged. He took them. And God made him a sacrifice, an offering for our sins. And then the second one is, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So there's two things we need for salvation. Sin, we need that to be taken care of. And God did that in Christ. And then the matter of righteousness. And so that is taken care of as well in Christ. Right? It is Christ's righteousness that we receive for our standing in salvation, which why we can't lose it. There is no condemnation. I, I have them in my hand, he says, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. And then my father has me in his hand, and no one certainly is stronger than God the Father. No one. Can pluck them out of my father's hand. So that thought should be vanished from our minds and we should get on with the business of living. Right? So, so just so we know, that is what Paul is saying. Paul is not just saying that, oh, I just want the Jews to understand salvation. That, that's not the point in these verses. Now, of course, salvation is the door that they need to walk through so for sure. So when he's finished with Romans 9, what does he go to 10? My earnest prayer and desire for Israel is that they might be saved, that they would be saved. He knows the door to all of what he's saying in Christ is is there. It's salvation. So that is important uh, to note that Paul understood that they would come to Christ and believe but that what is behind that is what we discovered in Romans 8 that was Paul and if you couldn't see in Romans 8 there was a level of excitement and a pitch that Paul got to as he those verses came to a crescendo and and he got to be about well, who could separate us from the love of Christ and that's not even about salvation that's about the father's eternal purpose what could stop this who who could overturn this? And the answer is absolutely nothing in all creation. So back to our notes. Okay, so cut off from Christ. Right, so the result of being accursed, and that is the word, the Greek word anathema. And you've probably all heard of anathema. What does it mean to be anathema? And this is a definition from strong says so uh it's like a religious ban or concretely excommunicated a thing or a person accursed, anathema a curse or great this is all from the definition from strong so Paul is saying I I, w- I could wish uh, that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ and it's not saying that he knows this can happen but he's saying if, if I could get them to understand, that's what I would... If, if, if I had to trade that for them understanding, I would do that. I would be willing to do that. But that is not possible. So what does he do? What does he attempt to do? Lay out as best and as most reasonable as he can the argument for our calling in Christ and why God made the switch and what and how that all works, uh, he he certainly can do it, and he did. He's going to lay all that out in Romans chapter nine, so that it is laid bare for the Jew. Remember, just like Romans four, right? How could anybody understand and think that the law can bring us salvation? Paul made that point about Abraham. He says Abraham was justified by works then he would have something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Later in the chapter 4, he said. Now, was it credited uh, before he uh, was circumcised or after? In other words, the fact that uh, Abraham was obedient and was circumcised, is that when Abraham was saved? Absolutely not. Not circumcision is a sign of the covenant to Israel, and Abraham did get circumcised, but it was after uh, he was saved, and that's the point he made. So basically, Abraham's salvation had nothing to do with his obedience and submission to circumcision. Nothing. So how does the Jew make this argument? How how do they? Uh, come away thinking, well, wait a minute, you got to have the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to, Oh, you know, that's the sign of the covenant. All of that has to do with your salvation. Which was a Jewish fallacy that Paul was laying bare. I don't know how you walk away with the thought that salvation is by keeping the law. You can't. There's literally no justification, no ground on which you can stand. So let's continue in our notes. For I wish that I myself were cursed, accursed and cut off from Christ. And here point number two is for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now he's recognizing it's according to the flesh. And you know, it's interesting when I read these verses and I see Paul's ardent uh, dedication and love for his people. Uh, it is noteworthy, so we're going go we're going to deal with it and I think it brings all of us uh, into some detail. and this is what we're going to get to po- the first point, Paul was willing to be the greatest object of hatred if only they would understand. So that's what we're getting and 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 that could really been under a previous, but I brought it here. Just so we could continue that thought, just to understand. Now, it's interesting. We, we're in an age which is the church age, and a lot of people who are not Jews don't understand. Right? They mix these verses up to mean that there's some special, you know, calling for salvation. And these verses are not about salvation. These verses about verses are about our calling. So Paul is saying the the word, right, anathema means to be cursed, to be loathed. And Paul was willing to say, okay, okay, I will be that if, if I could uh, just be, um, uh, have my people understand. Now, so that word anathema, just to note what that word is, and I did uh, look look up the definition of it and what and it, the etymology of it so it derives from a Greek word which we already saw meaning an offering or anything dedicated and this is from the, the, the greatest source which is uh, called uh, Wikipedia on the internet itself derived from the verb and that's that verb uh, right we already mentioned it and it means to offer up but it it referred both to objects consecrated for divine use and those dedicated to destruction in the lord's name such as enemies and their weapons during religious wars and such so anathema was initially used in its ecclesiastical sense by saint paul to mean expulsion from someone from a christian community by this, in other words this person would be anathema or separated from the body or meaning you know, just like the person who had relations with his father's um, wife, I think. And this this is in second, uh, 1 Corinthians 5. And Paul said that that, man, that person should be separated from the body, not meaning that they could be lost, but that they shouldn't, because of uh, what was going on, the scandal around it, that they should be separated from the body. Right? And the people couldn't even think straight with the person, Uh, Being there, so he's he he used it in that sense But it was also used by the church uh, Early church with uh, you know when it came to heretical doctrines and the severest form of separation from the Christian church issued against a a heretic group or heretics popes did it right they would uh, anathematize people Uh, the, the phrase in Latin Anathema, or let him be anathema, echoing Galatians 1 8 and 9, where Paul's saying, If somebody comes and preaches to you a gospel that uh, uh, is not according to this gospel of grace, let them be anathema. And this is what he's saying literally let them be separated, cursed, you know, from the Christian faith. So th- there's other examples, but I just wanted you to get the idea. Of what anathema was. So, when we're back to our notes here, um, and, and I say, I make these points, Paul was willing to be the greatest object of hatred, ostracized, separated, right? All those things, if only they would understand. So, just think about what he's saying along those lines. Point B, even though Paul was in Christ, a new creation, he was motivated. And this is the quote that we have from Ephesians three nine, to make plain to everyone, not just Gentiles. And he he knew one of the calling was to that he would have to go to Gentiles, but for him to go to Jews, well, it was the most natural thing in his mind. But but so verse um, verse eight says. Uh, to me, this grace has been given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then in verse 9, we have this, to make plain to everyone. So everyone, he already talked about the Gentiles in verse 8. Who's everyone then? That would be Jews, and as we find in verse 10, and the principalities and powers in the heavenly realm. So those are angels. So it's not just uh, is to fallen angels is to elect angels it's to angels so it's everyone includes Jews Gentiles and angels so that's who we find Paul is ready to make this mystery the administration of this mystery which for ages was uh, ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things so you have to say none of those groups knew anything about the mystery whether it be Gentiles Jews or angels. It was, and so who else is left? Nobody. It says it was hid in God. Those are all the rational creatures there are Jews, Gentiles, and angels. And now we have a, this new body that is the church. So it is our objective to make it plain to everyone. So listen, this is what we've been talking about Paul's desire to make it plain to. To let people know how this works because of the glorious nature, the unsearchable wealth that attends this mystery. God hid it. It's special. <laughs> if you didn't think of yourself as special, you ought to. And you really are. I mean, from the things that are said about us in Scripture, how can we not? How can we not? How can we think of ourselves as earthly anymore? We, Jesus says they are no longer of this earth; they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. Right? Christ lifted us up, and we were seated with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This this is where we sit. This is the far above all principality and power and dominion and. And any name or title that can be named in any age or any future age, this is where we now belong. This is what God has done for the church. This is not done for any other creature whatsoever from the hand of God. This is unique. So we, yes, we're special. I'm not being arrogant to say that. I'm only being cognizant of what the scriptures have said about me. And guess what? I happen to believe them. I believe God when He says He did this for me. Yeah. So, point—that's um, point B. Point C: Our understanding is greatly enhanced by the Apostle going to this level of detail. Now just think about it. Uh, for Paul to have gone to this length, and in other words. He didn't stop and say, okay, well, salvation, we got enough on that. He says, let me show you the other side of salvation, the righteousness of God and how it all all works out. And that's what we, we saw about how uh, there's not no one's righteous, not even one. After he went through this whole thing about how the Jews think they're righteous because they got the law. And they said, well, if I do things by the law, then I'll be justified by the law. And they had that reasoning, but that was all wrong. Paul says, let me tell you, there is no one who is righteous. Not Jew, not Gentile, no one. So, and we got that understanding. And wow, when we got that, we said, man, it doesn't even matter about the law. That's what grace is. And now he's showing bare knuckles when it comes to our calling in Christ. And what it means. How glorious it is. So for for us right he he's not talking to us per se although we glean so much detail from what he's saying to the Jew and the fact that we can understand that the fact that we can apprehend that information is is even a greater benefit it it, it, it enhances our understanding to another level of detail so colossians 128 and 29 i want to What's our time? Oh, we got a little time. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Let's look at that. So it says, and, and well, we should know he's talking about the mystery here. Uh, to them, verse 27, is God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The absolute confidence that we will be glorified. Absolute confidence of glory. So this is verse 28. He, who's he, Christ, is the one we proclaim. Now, so, so he just told you about the mystery and what his goal was to make it known, right? So then he says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature, notice, in Christ. Not in Israel, in Christ. That's that's the goal. I mean, making it plain. So not only do are we called to this, but the the goal, the richness of our calling is that we understand it. Now, while we're on the ground, while we're on this side of the judgment seat of Christ, that we come to the full knowledge of the truth. That's the goal. It's Paul's goal to make it plain. If you get to this place where you're fully mature in Christ, believe me, you have this hope. You have this hope in burning in your soul. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we eagerly desire, right? We, we, we groan inwardly, waiting patiently for the adoption, the full adoption to sonship. So th- this is what he's saying, fully mature in Christ. And verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend. Contend means struggle, can fight, wrestle. With But notice what he's wrestling with. All the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So that energy does not come from Paul. It comes from God the Holy Spirit. The spirit of Christ that is inside of Paul, just competing with those who don't understand. That they will understand. That they will. He will wrestle with them until they get it, till they understand it. Right. This to this end. That's his work. That's what he's working on. So whether it's the Jew, whether it's the Gentile, yeah. It's, it, his goal is there and this is his dedication right this is this is Paul's dedication to this that level of detail that he goes through to help the Jew understand even the Jew and well certainly the gentile but wow uh, the Jewish mind right these were the people of God these were those who were called and chosen and all of that and he goes to this level of detail to make sure they understand how God is leading in this new age. So, point F, point, no, 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 point E. Paul loved his kinsmen. Right? That's the word kinsman. there. You have it in Greek. But it means it's like a relative by blood, by extension, a fellow countryman, cousin, kinfolk, kinsfolk, right? Kinsmen. You could say that's your, Paul's people. He's, when he says it's his people, it's like family. It's like we talk about relatives and where we came from, right? But notice uh, that love that Paul had for them was certainly, this is point F, certainly not reciprocal. And Acts chapter 23, 12 through 28, we won't read the whole thing, but you can. I would just point out some of the, the noteworthy comments here. Acts chapter 23, Um, Here it is, 23. And let's look at, start at verse 12. So it says, the next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. (laughs) I think that's heavy. Now this is, they're taking a vow. They're saying, listen, This man is so dangerous that we will not eat or drink until he's dead. That's what they're saying. Until this man is off the face of the earth and his mouth is shut forever. We will not eat nor drink until this happens. We must kill this man. That's what they're saying. How bad they wanted to shut the mouth of the Apostle Paul. Why would he have gotten under their skin like this and you know why because of the arguments that paul presented them they laid it is it was like filleting a fish where paul just literally opened them up and just boned them right cut the bone out and just got all right in right all the way down to the joints and the marrow and he was able to do that and it infuriated the jews to such an extent that they we were willing to um, kill Paul, I mean, without a trial, without anything. Let's just kill him. So verse, 20, verse 13, more than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until uh, we have killed uh, the, uh, Paul. So not, I mean, literally, this is tough for people to deny themselves of this. Right? In verse 15, now then, uh, you, San, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext, the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are, and we are going to stand, lie in wait, ready to kill him before he gets here. Right. So you, you go call for him, and, and they want to involve the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. Uh, listen, it probably was not beneath them from what they did before with Christ. But when uh, Paul, uh, the son of Paul's sister heard about this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So I'm going to skip down because we we're short of time. But let's skip down to where um, where it says, uh, let's see. Oh, well, anyway, I want you to read it because essentially because of what Paul did, because he was a Roman citizen, um, they made safe passage for him, right? This is what happened. So verse 31, so the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them, during the night and brought him as far as anti-Paris. The next day, when the cavalry went on, uh, go. That's not the point I wanted to show you. Hold on. Yeah. So I want. So really, it was a whole detachment of troops that they they sent to make sure Paul was okay. Yeah. Anyway, when you read it, you'll find that out. I was reading this. Uh, so But they had so many people that the Jews couldn't uh, carry out the what they were trying to do with the apostle. So anyway, this just shows you the hatred that they had for Paul. I mean, this was such blind anger. It was like what happened with Stephen, where they rushed him, gnashing their teeth. And they picked up stones and they killed him. So there's a lot of history about the apostle. Let's keep going. Uh, so we talked about it wasn't, Paul loved them, but they didn't love Paul for sure. Point G, Paul is not looking back to Judaism to go back to their glory days, but to bring them forward to the new creation in Christ, right? So we already read Romans 8, uh, 18, uh, and this should be 18 and 19 in the notes. Please correct that. So it's Romans 8, 18 through 19. And it talks about how uh, what we have is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then 2 Corinthians five seventeen, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. So this is what, uh, you know, Paul wanted them to go forward to. And not see he wasn't chumming up and going to synagogues and all that because he felt like I'm 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 just a Jew, I just want to uphold the Mosaic law. No, not at all. Paul was trying to get his people, his relatives, his those who are his blood, those who people he grew up with and loved, he's trying to get them saved so that they could be part of this calling. That was the goal. It's not oh, I just love hanging around uh, people who don't believe in Christ, he wanted them to believe and understand the calling that was could have been theirs. So, it's, so think about it that way. That was why he was focused on the Jew. He, it wasn't because he, he only liked Jews. It was because he wanted them to move forward. That's the key. And point H, this is a note that we should take for us, our own selves. We all came from somewhere. So looking back is good if if we have the right motivation to move them forward. right? We, we it Just to look back and say, yeah, I just want to hang around with my people, my relatives, where I came from, where I feel comfortable, where, where I was brought up and raised. I, that's what I feel. My race or my status of, of people could be rich. Could, I don't want to hang around other people. No, the... the goal is to move forward and it's certainly okay because where are you going to witness to you're going to witness to the people that you love the most right the people you came from where it could be your mother father sister brother relatives friends that you've grown up with that you've known certainly you want to witness to them certainly you you want them to be saved you want them to enjoy the benefits of all the things that we have been discussing. And you would do anything to get those people saved, to help them to be saved. That's the, that's the goal. But remember, so looking back is not just chumming uh, with them or, or rubbing shoulders with them. It is to bring them forward. And if you look at the apostle, uh, his whole desire, like in 10, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel, that they may be saved. It is to move them forward. Yes, he was raised in Judaism. But he says, he counts it all as loss, that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness which comes from the law, but a righteousness which is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's in Philippians 3. So Paul understood. So we, all, like I say, we all came from somewhere, but that is not where we're going. We are not of this world. All of those things that we've been talking about that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, all of it is true. That's who we are. And if we want others to come to the knowledge of the truth, then that is what we need to be about when it comes to our witness in this world. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue with the thought of this next week. Thank you, Father. What a privilege and honor it is to be able to serve you on the battlefield it is one way we can say father we love you we want to uh, follow your plan we want to uh, accept the lordship of christ over our lives that he might manifest and be alive in us that he might live his life through us in this world it is in his name that we pray amen amen
1: amen amen